Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Well, this is the last of the series on the vow about marriage. Uh, Tim asked me to speak on the subject of communication in marriage. Now, I know probably none of you have had that problem, uh, communicating in marriage. I asked my wife, Jan, we've been married 56 years. I asked her the other day, I said, you know, have we ever had any problems with communication in marriage? Her response was, wow. Now, guys, when your wife says, wow, that's not a compliment. She's just wondering why you said something that stupid. (laughs) Obviously, we all have those difficulties, don't we? Communication in marriage is not easy. The reason is because when we come to any close relationship, especially in marriage, there's a lot of factors involved. We bring to a marriage different backgrounds, different experiences, sometimes a different culture, usually a good bit of baggage. And also, 60 to 90% of all communication consists of body language, eye contact, facial expression, and tone rather than words. In other words, we communicate more without words than we do with words. My wife has a way of doing that. We we like to travel. We travel a lot, and we do a lot of driving. Well, I do a lot of driving. She does a lot of riding. And as we're driving along, I think things are going well. I'm, I'm tooling down the road. She's over there beside me. And all of a sudden, she slams on the virtual brakes. I'm, I'm driving. I'm, you know, I've got the brakes. And what she's communicating to me is, Bill, you're going too fast. Slow down. Of course, then I have to hit the real brakes. And then she kind of eases up. And off we go down the road. See, we communicate a lot of different ways, don't we? All kinds of ways in life. It's just amazing. Uh, now, there have been many books, entire books, written on communication in marriage. Most of them deal with technique. Don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. Matter of fact, I printed off a whole long list by the time I go through it, pages long of things you should do and shouldn't do when you're communicating in a marriage. However, we need to go beneath technique to what it really means to communicate with one another in a godly way. As Tim has said, A covenant marriage is about giving 100% to each other. And that is so valuable and so important. You know, when Jesus came and showed us how to live and how he lived for us, he did not partially give his life for us. It was complete. And how we need to do the same for each other. So this morning, I'd like to pursue this covenant idea, our covenant with God, our covenant with each other, uh, and understand the foundation of good communication. Now, I love the passage in Proverbs 25:11, which is the title of my sermon. It says, "A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver." Have you ever had someone say just the right thing at just the right time that got you over a bridge? of difficulty, that spoke to you in the midst of a trial or tribulation or trouble, and someone came to you and spoke a word that just lifted you up, that encouraged you. That's what that's talking about. 
Jesus was a master at this. Just think about all the great words he spoke. You know, there was a blind beggar on the side of the road hollering, you know, trying to get his attention. and Everybody was telling him to shut up. Shut up. Master doesn't have time for you. And Jesus said, let him come to me. Now, that was a word spoken like apples of gold in a setting of silver. And then there was a guy up the tree, Zacchaeus. He was just want to see Jesus pass by. Jesus comes up under the tree and says, Zacchaeus, I'm having dinner at your house tonight. You probably ought to be there. That's my version. And uh, Zacchaeus came down. Now, those words were like apples of gold in a setting of silver to Zacchaeus. That's what he needed to hear right then. Woman caught in adultery, thrown at the feet of Jesus, mistreated by a group of men who wanted to stone her to death. Jesus got rid of all the guys, and he says, where are your accusers? She said, they're gone. He said, neither do I condemn you. Wow. Words like apples of gold in the setting of silver. And then we have these words of Jesus in John 10, 14 and 15. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. No, I know my own sheep, and they know me just as my father knows me. And I know my father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Those are like words of apples of gold and a setting of silver. But I want us to focus on one word in that this morning. One word, and that's the word know, K-N-O-W. Biblically, this word is not about intellectual knowledge. It's not about knowing something about something. When I, when I travel, when Janet and I travel, usually, if, especially if we're going overseas on a cruise, I'd like to look ahead. I'd like to look, get online and look at where we're going, what city, and what the people are there, and the languages, and all that kind of thing. I'd like to know about where we're going. But until I get there, I haven't experienced it. When I get there, I get to experience it. That's what this word means. What it means is we are to know experientially. We are to experience Jesus as our good shepherd. That's a lot different than knowing about him. We're to experience him as our good shepherd. And how do we know any person experientially? How do we do that? We spend time together. We listen. We communicate, don't we? That's what knowing is all about. So I believe good communication in a marriage will primarily flow from three things that we need to know. The first one is we need to know our Heavenly Father through Jesus. And there's three aspects of that. In Matthew 22, 37 to 39... Jesus replied to a question of the Pharisees who, told, who asked him, what's the greatest commandment? Now, there was kind of a controversy about that in the first century where they argued about what was the greatest commandment in the Old Testament in the writings of Moses. Well, Jesus cleared that up real quickly. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second one is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The single most important focus in relationship in my life is to be the one with my heavenly father. Now, it supersedes all others, but there's something really important about that. I need to be sure I allow Jesus to define God for me. I need to allow Jesus to define heavenly father for me. I can't let somebody else define it, and I can't make up a definition. It needs to be the one that comes from Jesus. And as we read through the Gospels, we find Jesus telling us through his teachings and especially through his parables, the following characteristics of his heavenly father. Here's a few. He's good. He's trustworthy. He's generous. He's loving. He's holy. He's self-sacrificing. 
and he's transforming. Now, I could do a whole series of sermons on those characteristics, but they're kind of summed up in the parable of the prodigal son, or really, that's really misnamed. It's really the parable of the loving father. You know, you got this son, this self-centered, ego-centered, selfish younger son who wants his inheritance, disrespects his dad, takes all the money, goes out and lives a wild, riotous life, wastes his life, and comes almost begging back even to be a slave. If he could get back, he get something to eat. And what does the father do? The father, first of all, is looking for him. The father's looking for him. Why would he be looking for this worthless son? That's how we would do. He's looking for him. And when he sees him coming down the road, what does he do? He runs out to meet him. In self-sacrifice and love, he runs out to meet him. But before he leaves the house, he says, I want a party. I want a party thrown for my lost son who has come home. Wow. That's the father that Jesus is defining for us. That's the father he wants us connected to. That's the one he wants us to love with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, think about this for a minute. If we as husbands and wives, fathers, mothers, even friends, treated each other as our Heavenly Father treats us, being good, trustworthy, generous, loving, self-sacrificing, pure, would our relationships be better? Would we be better communicators? Of course we would. Of course we would. You see, communication flows from character. And a godly character has to flow from our relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's what Jesus is teaching in all of this. As a matter of fact, those characteristics would transform our culture. Would transform everything. But there's one, another step in this. And that is we must know Jesus' journey with his Heavenly Father. Because that's the one he invites us into. And Jesus invites us into the journey with his Heavenly Father that he was on. Remember that Jesus' command to us was just two words, follow me, follow me. Now, I don't have time to go into a lot of detail on this, but I want, if I have, and you have an outline there in your, in your program, but look at these five characteristics of Jesus' journey. I'm going to just read the scripture to you and think about this is what it means to follow Jesus in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. First of all, it's a journey of dependence, Luke 2.49, uh, Jesus' parents were looking for him. They lost him. And they were looking for him back in Jerusalem. And he was in the temple. And in 249, it says, Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Where else would I be than with my heavenly father? Because I'm dependent upon him. When we try to act and live and communicate independently of our heavenly father, it doesn't usually turn out very well. We need to be dependent on him. Second, it was a journey of intimacy in Luke 10, 21, 22. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him expresses intimacy. One of the words Jesus uses for his heavenly father is Abba, which is a term of intimacy. It would be today like a child calling the father daddy, a term of intimacy, a term. Remember, Jesus many times would spend all night on the mountainside with his heavenly father. Matter of fact, sometimes the disciples were wondering where he was, and he was away, spending the night with his heavenly father. 
enjoying intimacy with him. Then was the journey of trust, John 3.35. The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Sometimes when times are difficult, sometimes when we're struggling, that's when we need to trust. Now, it doesn't mean we always understand, but we need to trust. Trust our Heavenly Father so that he can get us through those difficult times. And then it was a journey of expectancy, John 5, 19 and 20. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. For the, son, for the father loves the son and shows him everything he does. This has the idea of not being ego-centered. That's what expectations are. Expectations are I've already decided what God ought to do and he better do it. And of course, we miss God that way. Expectancy is we just let God do whatever he's going to do and we follow him. We trust him. We walk with him. That's expectancy. And all of that leads to the last thing, and that's a journey of joy. In John 17, 13, Jesus says, I'm coming to you now, Father, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. My joy within them. Now think about this. If our journey with our Heavenly Father follows in the footsteps of Jesus, and we journey in intimacy, dependence, trust, expectancy, and joy, would that make any difference in how we communicate with one another? Make all the difference in the world. Make all the difference in the world. Because you see, the way we communicate with each other needs to be through the eyes of Jesus. Through the eyes of Jesus. Which leads to the third aspect here, and that is spiritual transformation in Christ. In Galatians 4.19, Paul said, My dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. What's the goal of our walk with Jesus? What's the goal? For Jesus to be formed within us so that as he is formed within us, we see each other as Jesus sees us. Would that make any difference in how we communicate? It'd make a huge difference in how we communicate with each other at any level. The goal of the Christian life is to allow that Holy Spirit to transform us from within as we humbly bow before our Father and as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. When we truly get to the point of seeing life as following Jesus, we will just begin to see what a covenant relationship with God and a covenant relationship in our marriage and a covenant relationship among all followers of Jesus is what we should have. We will begin to see that a word fitly spoken it's like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Now remember, I started this message with the understanding of the word know as used biblically. We are to experience, we are to experientially know our Heavenly Father. We are to experience that journey with Him that Jesus lived and illustrated for us. Now the next step is to know ourselves. Now, let me tell you, you can't know yourself apart from the work of the Holy Spirit and Jesus in your life. You just can't do it. Is our deepest identity in our relationship with God through Jesus, or is it somewhere else? Is it somewhere else? Now, I have spent 40 years in counseling, folks. I've counseled with hundreds of people, and most of the people I've counseled with have been married couples. Okay, that's been the primary people who have come to me for counseling. And this is the core of the issues every time, almost 100% of the time. 
Is our deepest identity in Jesus or is it somewhere else? Now, just think about this for a minute with me. As you look in a mirror today to see who you are, as you look in the mirror to see who you are, who you are came from where? How did you get to where you are today, on this day? You see, we have a lot of influences in our life. Our parents, siblings, friends, the media, Hollywood, sports figures, our electronic devices, circumstances, abuse, mistreatment. All of these influences will seek to distort our deepest identity in Christ almost endlessly. It's not easy to stay on the journey with Jesus and keep our identity. It is so difficult. The last couple of weeks, I've spoken with a couple of teenagers who are struggling with their identity because of the culture or because of circumstances or because of difficulties in their life. This is a real thing, folks. This is, this is where it's at. Let me deal with one of the most significant detriments to our identity in Jesus that I've had to face in my own life, and I've faced it in many, many lives of those that I've counseled with over the years. And that is our woundedness, our brokenness, which many times flows from abuse or mistreatment. It can flow from circumstances. It can flow from a death in the family. It can, f- can flow from all kinds of things in our life. But we all have it. We all have it. Now, sometimes we won't admit it, I've had people in counseling who tell me, well, I, you know, I've never been wounded until I explored that with them a little bit, and I found out they've been wounded quite a bit. We've all been wounded. Now, it's at different levels, at different times of life, and sometimes more than once, okay? If you lived as long as I have, it'll be more than once because that's the way life is. Now, the problem with this is that it impacts our deepest identity, who we are in Christ. You see, we're created in the image of God. Every single human being in the world is created in the image of God. That's the only thing that gives human life value, folks, is being created in the image of God. Now, that image is distorted, of course. It's distorted by our hurt and our woundedness, by our sinful response to those kind of things. But it's still there, and that's what Jesus wants to bring to the surface in our relationship with him, in our walk with him, in our communication and intimacy with his heavenly Father. But we have to know ourselves first. And one of the most difficulties I've faced, difficulties I've faced over the years and, and in, even in my own life is getting people to see where they are and where they need to get to, to be healed by the power of God, to be healed by the power of God. What happens when we're wounded or hurt, especially as a child, uh, it, it can be so significant. And we will try to compensate for it. Any times we're really wounded, we will try to compensate for it in our own ego, in our own power. And so it might be, we may compensate by being successful or trying to be successful. We may compensate by trying to marry the right person. We might try to marry the right person multiple times, which is part of the problem. Uh, We may try to be constantly defensive about things. And if none of that works, what we resort to is an escape. And the escape is addiction whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's pornography. Boy, I've worked with drug addicts and alcoholics over the years. Never found a one that didn't go into that addiction from woundedness in their life. Okay? That's That's just their response to the woundedness. And they need healing at the point of their woundedness. I grew up in a very dysfunctional family. My mom was autistic. You ever grown up with a parent who was autistic? She had, uh, she had the uh, Asperger syndrome, 
which of course was a diagnosis when I was growing up. Nobody even knew that existed. So my mom was a rather strange person. She was a good person, but she's just strange. I had no idea what the deal was when I was growing up. Later, when I was grown, and years later, I went to the movie and saw Rain Man. Remember that, Rain Man? I sat there and watched Rain Man. I said, that's my mom. All of a sudden, whew, the light came on, and I started doing research to understand my mom. But it was kind of tough growing up with that as a child. See, we all have woundedness in our life and difficulties in our life. And remember this, regardless of what you've been through, what has been done to you, your Heavenly Father still loves you and welcomes you home. That's the key thing. Your meaning and purpose in life in Jesus, your deepest identity, is who God created you to be, and nobody can take that from you unless you allow them to. No matter how broken you are, God's love is still there for you. Allow God's healing power through the work of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to get you back on the journey with Jesus and allow Jesus to be formed in you. Always pray that you will be able to see others through the eyes of Jesus. That's the healing power. That's knowing yourself. Now, the last thing is to know your spouse. Sometimes we start there. We start there, and that's the wrong place to start. <laughs> we need to know our spouse. We need to know their woundedness, their dreams, their hopes, their hurts, their joys. We need to see our spouse through the eyes of Jesus and listen to them. Listen to them. You can't listen while you're watching TV or on your iPhone. You need to have time together just to listen. Men don't be like the wife who said husbands are the best people in the world to tell your secrets to because they aren't listening anyway. Yeah, guys, <laughs> you need to listen. We need to listen. Now, men and women are different here. Now, it's always dangerous to talk about men and women being different in our culture because we try to hide that. But men are typically more goal-oriented. In other words, we like to see things happen. We want to know where we're going, how to get there, when we're going to get there. Well, we have this goal in mind. Ladies, you tend to many times just, hey, you just like to sit back and talk. My wife many times didn't have a goal at all. She just wants to talk wants me to listen. I was sitting with a group of guys at breakfast the other day, and one of them said, Oh, I was asking how everybody was doing during the week. And when I said, oh, I had one of those days with my wife. And I said, what? What is that? She just wanted me to sit and listen. He, he, <laughs> this is his words. He said, and I wanted to fix something. And she didn't want anything fixed. I've had guys bring their wives to me in counseling and say, I need you to fix my wife. It's like an engine overhaul or something. I mean, you bring her in every six months. I mean, what is that about? You know, what is that about? You know, we're not out to fix each other. There's so many things there. We need to know each other's personality type. If you haven't taken the Briggs-Myers test together, you can do it online free. Take it, and boy, what a great thing to talk about. You talk about communication. That's a great thing to communicate on. Your differences, your likes, and how you complement one another in your differences. That is so very important. And the thing where you can most deepen your communication with each other is to share your woundedness. Be honest about it and share it with each other and share how you're moving toward healing in Christ. That is so valuable. And one last thing is be sure together you are involved in something bigger than yourself. This is what I like to call transcendence. Had a couple come to me not too long ago. And man, I never heard anybody complain so much in all my life about each other. I mean, they spent about 30 minutes complaining about each other. None of it important. 
They didn't say one thing that mattered. And I said, okay, stop a minute. Tell me where you are involved together in something bigger than yourself. They sat there. It all of a sudden got really, really quiet. And they could not say one thing. I said, okay, I've got an assignment for you, and I don't want to see you again unless you fulfill this assignment. When you come back next week, I want to know what you're going to be involved together that's bigger than the both of you. That will add to communication and covenant relationship in marriage. When we serve Christ together, it will always enhance a relationship. We become God-centered rather than ego-centered. But we always must remember that our identity is not in what we do, even what we do in church, even what we do as a Christian. Our identity is in our relationship with Jesus. What we do flows out of his love for us that we experience. That is so very, very rich. This morning, have you allowed the healing power of the touch of Jesus to touch your life and your relationships? First of all, with your Heavenly Father. Second, with yourself. And thirdly, with your spouse or with a friend or with a child, whomever it might be. Godly communication flows from godly character. It's only then that we can speak words like apples of gold in a setting of silver. I want us to have a little prayer time. Just uh, We have some music playing in the background here. I want you to just, uh, we never take any time just to be quiet. Let's just be quiet for a moment. And now I have some uh, questions there in your outline, if you, reflective issues, if you want, want something to kind of reflect upon. Look at those. Just go, go to your Heavenly Father quietly. Think about how well you know him and are following Jesus. Think about how well you know yourself. Understanding that God loves you where you are right now. He loves you right there. Do you know that this morning? Do you know that? And then do you know your spouse? Can you see your spouse through the eyes of Jesus? If you're comfortable with it, pray with your spouse. I'm going to be right down front here while the music is playing. I'm going to be down front. If you would like to be prayed with, I welcome you to come down. I'll be more than happy to pray with you. So let's just enter this time of quiet, listening to the music for a few minutes, and think about where we are in our walk with Jesus so we can learn to communicate, saying words like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Let's pray together. Father, help, help our answer this morning to your presence is to give me Jesus. To walk with you, to journey with you, to learn to listen to you, to understand that part, the most important part of communication is listening. So many of us desperately need to be listened to. Remember, each of us here this morning, remember that you are always there and always ready to listen and you start where we are and we thank you for that pray your blessings on the 
marriages and the families in this congregation. May they be able to do just great things for you to show the world what a family centered around Jesus is really like. We thank you for what you have done and are going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.